This Guardian Family podcast is sponsored by Jump, the savings fund for children. To find out more, visit jumpsavings.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Sawyer and I'm here to offer you a selection of tasty canapes from the smorgasbord of family life. Yes, it's the Guardian Family Podcast. In this month's show, Mirror Mirror on the Wall, why being a stepmum, wicked or not, can be the trickiest job of all. When I'm strict or lay down the line with my uh, stepchildren, it doesn't sound right. I get the glance from a side that's sort of, oh, you know, what, what are you doing talking to me like this? Male au pairs, the ups and downs of having a manny to look after your kids. He was a fully grown-up, fully-fledged male, and it was imagining having another husband in the house, and that was not what I was looking for. Sounds like a hot date to me. And songwriter, DJ, and all-round music maestro, Nitin Sawney, will be giving us his family playlist. This is the family podcast from The Guardian. Keeping me company this month are Sam Baker, editor of the fabulous Red magazine and author of the Stepmother's Support Group, and Guardian columnist Zoe Williams, who's just brought out her book, Bring It On Baby, which is right here. Welcome to the family pod. It's lovely and cosy, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, it's really, really professional. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. That's what we like. <laughs> so, Sam, I know because you tweet. And I tweet I too. Tweet. <laughs> Quite a lot, yeah. The only time that Sam stopped tweeting mm. was when she moved house and she only she only stopped for a day how is the new house <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about the new house <laughs> it will be lovely in about 2015 probably have you unpacked your boxes some boxes and not some all. boxes are unpacked other boxes are under painters and plumbers and am i making you depressed <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can talk about other things, you I know. I can do with the Haribo. Where are the Haribo? I need a sugar <laughs> high. <laughs> Just keep yourself going. What about, Zoe, how is your life? Is it amongst boxes, but boxes full of toys? Oh, God, it's the absolute plastic tat. It's a sea of plastic tat. And every time you leave the house, you come back with more plastic tat. Yeah, it's bribery. So, it's just, I know, I know. And then, you know, your kid goes, why did you buy me this? And you think, I don't know. What, what am I thinking? Now, stepmothers are the stuff of fairy tales, but also increasingly of modern life. Step families are the fastest growing family group in Britain, with some estimates saying that one in three of us are involved in a step family in some way. I myself am nominally a stepmom to a 26-year-old and a 22-year-old. But while literature's stepmother is invariably wicked, in real life we can actually be quite nice, kind and, yes, maternal. Karen Glazer met three of those evil stepmoms. It's quite hard work being a step-parent. When you have these short weekends, you spend a lot of time or, or afterwards, certainly, or in the immediate aftermath thinking, that didn't go well, or you know, I spend too much time criticising the children, or there were too many rows. That's Nadia, a stepmum to two children and a child of her own. One of the biggest sources of family tension, she says, is laying down the law with her stepchildren. You know, when I compare it to the way I am with my um, my son... There's actually probably not that much difference in the way we discipline, and I'm, I'm quite happy to be quite strict with him. But when I'm strict or lay down the line with my uh, stepchildren, it doesn't sound right. And I, and I think part of the problem is, is it's not balanced out as much with the emotional aspect that you would have with your own child. You know, you have the chance to... to 
make up for it. Um, you you just instinctively know that bond is there. It's something you don't have to explain. And it doesn't always help when dad is on the scene. I guess sometimes you do wonder whether it is a bit of a them and us situation, even from my own husband, to be quite honest. Uh, and I've often noticed the difference, of, for example, how he feels he can tell them off quite comfortably and really very abrasively and very harshly. And they will accept it a lot more easily. Whereas, you know, I get I get the, the, the sort of the glance from aside, the sort of, oh, you know, what, what are you doing telling, talking to me like this? It's, it's, not, it's not spoken. But if disciplining your stepchildren is hard, how much harder is life when you just can't stand their mother? That's been Sean's story for the past two decades. That relationship became especially bitter when it came to the weekly handover of Oscar from one parent to the other and living at opposite ends of the country only added to the strain. I did resent his mother because she was she was very difficult, really very difficult, and she, didn't, she wouldn't bring him down and she wouldn't collect him. And both me and my husband were freelance, so we would have to take a day off work to go and pick him up and to take him back, and we'd have to take time off when we had him. And I always felt that she never really appreciated the impact that had on both our lives. I thought she was actively destructive and negative. And seeing as she was the one who had had the affair and left, I, I, thought, that was, I thought that was wrong. I've, I've got so much I want to tell him about how awful his mother was. But he's a boy and, he, and he's 23 now and he's obviously not ready to know. Um, and I'm just ready to tell him. But even when you do get on with your stepchildren's mother, it can still be hard to do what's best for the kids as Jane, stepmum to Charlie, explains. We probably would have been very, very good friends if we weren't in the relationship that we had. Their mother wasn't, was quite hands-off with them, which was quite lucky for me, really, because it made my role a bit stronger with them. And, of course, there were moments which were quite awkward when the children were, as small children do, found it quite difficult to be who they were being loyal to and you know if she'd come around and visit and we were reading stories they'd be cuddled up to me and they'd make a more of a show of cuddling me and then you don't want to reject them but you don't want to make it look like you're taking them away from her so of course you know it, it, these things are never easy and Jane should know she had her own stepmother once she was quite a lot younger than my father as is often the case and she was um, very wanting to be my friend and go shopping with me and take me to the hairdressers and be my best friend and giggle and talk about boys and everything and then when she fully landed my father um, that completely vanished so I was left very confused as to my relationship with her and maybe that's what made me a lot more aware of the children's side of everything rather than the adult side of everything. My oldest stepson has remained with me even through the separation with his father for various reasons. I got the most wonderful Mother's Day card from my oldest stepson which literally said, you know, Happy Mother's Day and you are the mother I should always have had. Well, there was quite a lot to unpick out of that one. <laughs> so, Sam, you you yourself are a stepmom. I am a stepmom. Yeah. And how old were you when you? I was twenty three as well when I met Jamie. Yeah. And how old was? Uh, and he was six. So, um, quite yeah. a boisterous age. Uh, yeah, but great actually. I think I don't know. I mean, I think it's e- it might have been easier because he was little, so he was he was more open to. He was you know he was a little boy and 
I was a little girl in my head. Because, you know, <laughs> 23, I was not, I wasn't particularly grown up, 23, still not particularly grown up. So I think we, you know, I was quite happy to, you know, operate with him on that level, really, and, and you know, do go to toy shops. And, and how did you, and how often did you see him? Was, you have, was there a kind of regular uh, situation where he came over a couple of nights a week or...? Um, he, uh, every other weekend to begin with, um, although his parents had joint custody, um, and half the school holidays. And then when he was 11, he came to live with us full time. Yeah. So then obviously that situation changed because that my policy of kind of opting out, if you like, because uh, his dad did, you know, his dad's pretty good. So he did everything in terms of like primary carer, because one of the women who was just speaking was talking about being the sole carer for a child. And I was thinking, well, that just... That just didn't happen to me, really. Yeah. Um, uh, so when he moved in with us, then I had to take a bit more responsibility and start to, you know, wash that plate up, tidy your room. It smells that kind of and stuff. And how did that? And how did that work? Because eleven is quite an interesting age for that to happen, anyway. Because it's just at the point where they kind of leave childhood behind and move into wanting to be more independent themselves. So if you have to then impose discipline, that's quite. Difficult. Um, I didn't do much, to be honest. <laughs> you, you opted <laughs> as out. As little as possible, yeah. <laughs> well, also, his dad had gone freelance in order to do um, the going down and getting him from school and, and all of that stuff. And I, and I was working super extra full-time, so, you know, I really wasn't there all the time. I think the part of the problem that it seems to be, and you can hear it in some of the clips, is it's complicated by the the relationship with the real mother. It's quite often complicated by some form of jealousy of the relationship that the child has with the father. Those yeah. things can be really difficult for people to deal with, I think. Well, I think one of, one of the things I noticed is that some of the women I know who became stepmothers older, so in their 30s, they really wanted children and they wanted them now. And I think that probably, that kind of exacerbated the, I want to be a mum, I'm a mum, this is how I think you should be a mum. Whereas I never, mm. I, you know, I didn't want to be a mum I know I'm not a mum in my own right now so I didn't really have that but you know yeah but then you must feel as some form of kind of mother figure if he's now how old well he's 26 and I've I think um I suppose that the easiest way to describe it is kind of like a benign auntie because you're not really a friend and that whole a clip earlier about you know wanting to be their friend and talk about boys and go to top shop it's just you know well Jamie wouldn't have appreciated any of that anyway. <laughs> but you know I, I I don't think that works because I think you you know you kind of you're you're an adult so you're not a kid at the end of the day so you can't pretend to be a kid but you're an adult who isn't a mum or dad so you're not um you're not going to tell them off ultimately you're not going to have this is what mum and dads do in your head that you have their interests at heart. So I think that's that was always the kind of role I tried to play. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it sounds quite similar to my role, although my role was less intense, meaning that I met my husband's children when they were 12 and 16. And I, so that's about 11 years ago or something. And they're now 26 and 22. But I think that the difference is that if you live with the child, which we didn't, the child, you know, the children came over. It's a completely different role. So yeah, I was definitely. always, I've never thought of myself as a stepmom because I haven't done any mothering. Mm, no, exactly. <laughs> there was yeah. no mothering involved other than occasionally telling them to get up yeah. at a certain yeah. time and do you want to come to Alton Towers, which is not really that mothering anyway. That's a bit like an auntie. So you don't really feel those 
I hesitate to call myself a stepmother because I haven't done the hard bit, if you see what I mean. Well, I think, I think the whole stepmother thing is a misnomer anyway because there's so many different ways of doing it. There's yeah. your way, there's my way where he did come to live with us, there's you know, you, people, you bring your own, you know, blend, homeful word, <laughs> blend, isn't it? But where your own kids come into the equation, and that's a completely different sort of thing again. So mm. step's a horrible word. Mother is a complete m- misnomer. I, we need to think of something <laughs> else, basically. I don't know what, I but we need to, yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Zoe? Because you had stepmothers in your life when you were young, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, well, I've had two stepmothers. I had one when I was when I was three. My dad split up with my mum to leave her for this stepmother, and I think I probably met her when I was four, but I don't have a clear memory of what age I was and I think it was very very difficult although I really do love her um it was a really really hard because I think actually at the beginning of a relationship especially she was only about 25 I think um she'd never had any close contact with children so she didn't really understand you know four-year-olds are quite stupid and they they have ridiculous stupid rages <laughs> that, that a six-year-old wouldn't have if you've got if you haven't learned how to deal with a six-year-old by having a five or a four and a three and a two-year-old you don't know what's reasonable you don't know what's unreasonable you don't know what's mad so we had a lot of we clashed a lot about tantrums which I look back now and think were completely reasonable responses about your parents had just split up yeah. you know and so I mean actually now I talk I feel quite angry <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here for yeah, yeah. Therapy. Um, Get it out. <laughs> but actually you know I completely love her and I th- she means the world to me so and the fact that they split up and then and how old were you when they so split So they up? split up when I was about 10, but we still had quite a close relationship with her because by that time we'd kind of ironed out our differences and we were quite close. And, you know, they split up just from irreconcilable differences. The main one being that when he ate an apple, it made her feel so physically sick that she <laughs> broke a window. <laughs> It's like a chick flip wet dream. Harassed mother seeks help with the kids and a caring yet fun-loving and utterly domesticated man turns up on the doorstep. What's more, the children love him. But anyway, are there disadvantages? We spoke to mother of three, Rebecca, about life with her male au pair, the fantastically named Miguel. I'm Rebecca Kassenberg. I have three children, Ruben, who's seven, Dora, who's five, Raphael, who's two, and our au pair is Miguel. We didn't actually choose to have a male au pair. We put an ad on Gumtree this time after having had several years of different girls. One person applied with a Turkish name who I presumed was a woman, but when I opened the door to interview her, it turned out she was a man. And I had, I definitely knew I was going to say no to him instantly upon meeting him because he was a full, fully grown up, fully fledged male and I couldn't imagine him being in the house. He looked very male. He... He behaved very male. He he smelt very male. It was imagining having another husband in the house, and that was not what I was looking for. Whereas Miguel, when we met him, was cute and young and wearing a pink T-shirt and clean jeans and felt like the ideal oh, extra teenager shirt. to have in the house. Go! You're cheating, Ruben. No, I'm not cheating. <laughs> You're cheating. Okay, start oh. careful. Start again. We didn't set out a vision of what his parameters would be around the children because part of his job is to bath the children, be with them when they go to the loo, put nappies on. In fact, the second time he met the children, he came to my parents' house for dinner and he helped with bath time. And the first thing Dora did, quite shocking, was to lie on the bed with her legs open and ask him to put a nappy on her. 
that kind of initiated me straight away into the awkwardness of how I was going to feel about him caring for the children. And he dealt with it so well and was very nonplussed and didn't really look at her and said, you're too big for a nappy. And she got up and got herself dressed. But it was very, um, it was, it was very challenging for me. And I think that that's the, that's the undercurrent that I have with him of occasional negative fantasies about what could in the worst case scenario be. But my, but my head and my intellect tells me that he is safe and confident and secure and that I can rely on him. Okay, Ruben, finish. The supper is ready. Come on, please. You have to wash your hands before. If not, you don't have supper. It's been very interesting for us to see Ruben's response to Miguel. He definitely respects Miguel and does what Miguel asks him to do. And if he's being asked to have a bath and he won't go, Miguel will pick him up and take him to the bath, which obviously has never happened before. So having this male presence, having another male in the house through the through the day has been a wonderful experience for us as a family. I'm nearly eight in three days. Yeah, I like having a boy au pair. And I won seven one because it's fun because he doesn't he's not he's not like a girl that just does everything with girls. He's a boy that does things with girls and boys. Uh, he was playing football and he normally beats me, but I today I beat him. One challenge that I had when he first came on is that I have always been very appreciative of our au pairs doing our laundry and putting our clothes away. And it, it, was, a, it was a big leap for me to take knowing that a young man would fold my knickers. And for the first few weeks, I did remove my knickers from the wash and now... I seem very comfortable to have this young man folding my knickers and putting them away. I think the undercurrent of having Miguel living with us is that there is there is always a slight battle between my head and my heart over my concerns of having a young man looking after our children. But I think we've both decided it's worth it. And what he offers us is better than what anyone else so far has come and offered us as a family. So we have to live with that tension. So, lots of undercurrents there. Oh <laughs> I have to say, I thought he sounded fantastic, especially when he was calling them in for supper. You're like, I'm in for supper. I'd like to no, come in hands. for supper. <laughs> so what's, what's um, interesting about that is that is the quite genuine mixed feelings that the mother was feeling about this situation. Because on one level, she's really happy. She's obviously happy that her kids have been cared for by somebody who loves them. But it's brought out almost like innate prejudices you don't realise that you have, which is, is it okay for young men to be around very young children? That's the first one. This is the thing. I just think it's so strange, the kind of prejudices underpinning that, that every man is potentially dodgy around... But I suppose it's just, it's the atmosphere. I mean, the biggest bogey man, the biggest bogey in today's society is a paedophile. But anybody with any sense knows what the probability of that is. I mean, the probability of of a man being a paedophile is so small. Obviously, they're bogeymen. Obviously, you're not, you, you know, you can be scared of, like, a psychopath or a paedophile or this or that or the other. 
but you know it's ridiculous. But, you know, we accept fearing paedophilia as though that was a reasonable fear, as though that was like fearing a traffic accident, but it's not. If you think about the, the clip that we just heard, the first person that she saw, she didn't even really want to let through the door, possibly, I think, because she fancied him, because he was so male. Yeah, I mean, she, when she said that he smelled really male, I thought, well, you definitely fancy him. Yeah. <laughs> you never mention what people smell like unless they smell of wee or you fancy them. <laughs> so I think that possibly she didn't want them in the house. Because she, she couldn't deal with him. My worry would always be with, with having a male nanny is that it's not the paedophilia thing, it's that, you know, men are really grumpy. So <laughs> <laughs> Miguel didn't sound grumpy. No, but Miguel exactly. Sounded like Miguel yeah. sounds like on happy pills. Yeah, 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 exactly. Miguel sounded like life, he hadn't seen enough of life to become grumpy. I went to this child's party and there was like a kid's entertainer and he was in a really bad mood. I thought I could smell booze on him. I thought he was hungover. No, he sounds classic. Well, exactly. I thought he had a hangover and he was singing these so- these inane songs. But if the kids tried to move a chair or make a noise during it, there were only two. He would go, Tilda, sit down. You know, be quiet. I was like, God, if we wanted a grumpy, hungover man, we would have stayed at home. <laughs> Nitin Sawney is a complete musical man who combines producing, composing, DJing and playing instruments. His music has accompanied video games, sad as well dancers and I know, because she told me, Madonna. She practices her yoga to his early LPs. Here's his family playlist. There are quite a few records that I, I kind of uh, think about in relation to me and my family. One, one of them is, um, is So What, which is uh, Miles Davis, which is actually uh, a kind of blue it was the first album i bought when i was eight which is a very weird thing to have done but um the reason i did was because my dad was playing it on my on the way to my uncle's house by that time i was playing quite a lot of classical piano and um and i remember listening to the sparse quality of miles davis's playing as well and it was it was an amazing association as well with uh with um music and uh, and visuals because i remember the traffic lights and the uh and the rain and i remember feeling very kind of safe with my family and with my dad driving and it was a it was a really kind of quite uh quite nice feeling listening to that music so i remember um that i asked if i could buy the album and uh, my mum and dad for a birthday present a short while later got me a, a cassette recorder um and i used to i used to play that track virtually every night for for years, actually. So, um, so what was the was the first track that I can think of in relation to my family? next one I can think of is um, is actually a track called Inhe Logone, which is um, from uh, Lata Mangeshka, who sung this track on a, on a film called Pakiza, uh, which is um, which is reminds me of watching uh, old Bollywood movies with my mum and dad. <laughs> with Inhe Logone, it had an incredible quality to it, and I was just stunned by the. Uh, the tabla playing on there, and the um, the quality of the of the music, and the and the 
the um, I suppose there was a lot of emotion in the dancing as well. I mean, this is the first time I'd seen Kathak dance. <laughs> This is kind of how I got into um, working with the association, also again with film music, and uh, and this is this is one of the great inspirations for me. But this, the timing of it is stunning, and the actual the flavour of it, and also the quality of the sound has got a a really uh, unique feeling from from that time as well. So yeah, that's a, a, a beautiful track. <laughs> The last track I'd like to talk about is uh, Communication Breakdown, which is uh, Led Zeppelin. And, uh, and again, this is, this is with my brothers. Uh, my brothers were really into uh, a lot of heavy rock. They were into a lot of funk as well. I mean, I, I listened to loads of things from Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock and all kinds of stuff as well um, through my brothers. But, uh, but, and, you know, the old Radio Caroline personal top 30s, you'd always hear Led Zeppelin in there. And Communication Breakdown was, was something I heard time and time again. Knitting Sony and his family playlist. So I've realised we haven't done the plugs. Zoe, would you like to plug your fab book, Bring It On Baby? Where it's, I can see a lady in pregnant state, as I am, with all these things descending yeah. on her head. Buggies. Drinking, drinking a glass of wine. Nappies. Luckily she's drinking a glass I of had wine. A, I, I, like had a, I mean, I've had a lot of hassle because people think it's a manual. It's not a manual. It's just comic essays around the theme of pregnancy and childbirth. But so we not... are going to learn nothing. So learn, no, you'll <laughs> learn nothing. It says on the back it's occasionally even informative, but that's not true. That's not plugging. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say, Zoe Williams' Bring On Baby is out now, and it says how to have a dude-like pregnancy, which is what I'm hoping to have. Um, Sam, so you've written three books, haven't you, in your time? I have, yeah. But the most recent is Stepmother's Support Group, which yeah. is also not a manual, and I had a similar problem. Um, yeah, no, no advice in there <laughs> at all. Um, it's just about a group of women. It's about friendship, really. And they, some of them happen to be in a step situation, but not stepmothers, as we already established, because that's a rubbish word. Well, that's all for this month's family podcast. So thank you very much to Sam Baker. You can follow her, which I do. Always entertaining comments on Twitter at Sam at Redmark. And thanks also to Zoe Williams and to Nitin Sawney. For more family dramas, do's and don'ts, and just don't knows, don't forget the always fab family section in Saturday's Guardian. From me, Miranda Sawyer, and my producer, Sarah Peters, it's goodbye. In today's instalment of the Children's Guide to Bringing Up Parents, brought to you by JUMP, the savings fund for children, we're looking at learning to plan for the future. What's this about, Alexander? Well, Becky, on the whole, parents are rubbish at this. They just live in the present, failing to realise that if my sports kit isn't washed by Wednesday morning, it's bound to be a crisis. The same with my sparkly top on Saturday evenings. How do you help them develop their skills? Help them understand that planning ahead is in their interest too. Take Jump, the savings fund for children. Put a little money into it regularly over the years and then, later on, when there are big bills to pay for first cars, first flats, going to uni... We'll still be able to cash in our savings and spend it all on clothes. You'll never sell it to them like that, Bex. 
Find out more about Jump, the savings fund for children, at www.jumpsavings.com. As Jump is an equity investment in Witten Investment Trust, PLC, please remember that past performance is not a guide to future performance, and the value of your shares and the income from them can rise and fall, so you may not get back the amount originally invested. Issued and approved by Witten Investment Services Limited, registered in England number 5272533 of 201 Bishopsgate, London, EC2M3AE. Witten Investment Services Limited provides investment products and services and is authorised and regulated by the Financial Services Authority. Calls may be recorded for our mutual protection and to improve customer service.